1 Corinthians 1, Paul rebukes them for their perception that one is of Paul, one is of Cephas. And he is telling them that there is a temple that God is wanting to establish, and that temple cannot be realized if they have that attitude. I'm greatly paraphrasing. But he says, you are saying, I am of Paul, I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Has Christ been divided? He goes on and he says, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but for us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? And he's tapping in, he's addressing still their competitive, factionist attitude. Where are the people that are the great heroes? Where are the the wise in this age? Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since the wisdom of the world, through its wisdom, did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. He says the world has a certain kind of wisdom, but it doesn't bring you into a relationship with God. In fact, as long as you're in that state of mind, as long as you're pursuing that kind of wisdom, the world in its wisdom does not come to know God. And we cannot come to know God through the wisdom of the carnal man. Didn't Jesus say, the kingdom of heaven does not come with careful observation? Amen. The kingdom of heaven is not coming with signs to be analyzed or observed. But the kingdom of God is within you. For the wisdom of God For in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. And God was well pleased through foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for a sign and the Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that when you were called, not many of you were wise according to the flesh, not many of you were mighty, not many were noble, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of this world to shame the things that are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen. He has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. Do you see how he's tying back into their their propensity toward factions? Boasting in Cephas, boasting in Paul, boasting in this one, Apollos. 
but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Again, he's going back to those who are boasting in Cephas, boasting in Apollos, boasting in Paul. And he's saying, that's all part of a certain kind of wisdom. And we don't want that wisdom. Amen? Now, I said that was one in order to get to two. But before we go to two, can we hold that thought just for a second? And let me read you something that's familiar to you. Amen. We're going to talk about two kinds of power, two kinds of intelligence, the competitive versus the gentle. The competitive versus the gentle. Keep that in your minds. The competitive versus the gentle. Paul is addressing the competitive kind of wisdom in 1 Corinthians 1, and he's contrasting that to the kind of wisdom that that is in Christ. Now listen to this. James 3.13, who among you is wise and understanding? Who among you is wise and understanding? Who is it who sees through everything? Who doesn't need any instruction? Who's gotten past all that? Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. Do you realize that he just called bitter jealousy and selfish ambition wisdom? He says, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not lie and be arrogant against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes from above. So how is it that bitter jealousy and selfish ambition are wisdom? Who is the cleverest in all the the spiritual powers? Satan. He was the most clever, most cunning. Amen? But he says that there is a wisdom in bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. That means when these certain competitive thoughts start to come into my heart and mind, whether it's Satan looking at God and saying, I would make myself like the Most High, or whether it's me suddenly having revelations about my brothers and sisters that are not rooted in God or His truth or His love, there is a certain dynamic that is driving that kind of wisdom. And it's not supernatural wisdom. It's not that which the Spirit inspires. It's earthly, sensual, and devilish, to use James's words. But there is a certain wisdom in it, isn't there? We've said this before. All of the greatest breakthroughs in science, have they not come in the context of war? And what is war except the ultimate competition? Think about it. The computer... All of the breakthroughs, nuclear science discovered, 
All of it. It came in the context of war, didn't it? It came in the context of competition. And when two people or two peoples face off and they begin to compete with each other, then they are playing right into the hands of the one who is a liar and a destroyer from the beginning, a murderer from the beginning. He wants that destruction. He wants to destroy the body. He wants competition and rivalry because he knows that a house divided against itself cannot stand. And he sees the house of God as the only real threat to his kingdom. So he does not want you to stand. If you are a family whose well-ordered obedience to God and his word represents a stronghold, a house in God's kingdom, he wants you to become a house divided. He wants there to be wars and rumors of war. He wants there to be factions and divisions. And the only way he can get you to do that is if he can seduce you to be a competitive, ambitious, self-seeking person. If he can make you forget that you are not your own, that you have been bought with a price. If he can make you lose your loyalty to Christ and how that translates into service for your brothers and sisters. And instead, make you start taking credit for all the good in your life as if it came from you. Then he can make you competitive. And he can make you start playing the tug of war with flesh warring against flesh. And the devil loves that. He loves that. Why does he love it? Because he's a murderer. And he needs your complicity in order to destroy the kingdom of God. So he says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. Don't deny it, he says. You've got to get this out of your system. You remember Cain? He had bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in his heart. When he saw the actions of his brother, he didn't say, God, please help me to do what my brother's done. He didn't humble himself to Abel and say, Abel, would you please help me? I don't feel what you're feeling. I don't feel the pleasure of God in my life. Instead, he became bitter. Amen. And the Lord warned him that something bad was crouching at his door and that he needed to master it. But he didn't do that, did he? Amen. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart. He lied against the truth. How did Cain lie against the truth? He made it somebody else's fault. That was the wisdom turning on. The wisdom of this world. Amen? Maybe God's given you gifts. Gifts of insight. Of discernment. How are you going to use those gifts? Maybe God's given you gifts that He would one day want to be gifts of prophecy in His body. Or words of knowledge to help people. Are you going to pollute those gifts and turn them into judgments? When they are seated in the ambition and the jealousy that James speaks of here? Amen. God created Satan. Did he create him to be Satan? No, he created him to be the second to the most high. Which tells us the most gifted are the most at risk of having those gifts of God co-opted by an earthly, sensual, and demonic power. 
a power that can only bring murder, that can only bring death and division to the house of God. But if the wisdom of this world brings death, then the wisdom of God brings life. And that's what we want. That's what we want to yield to. All of us face the temptation to come under the the compelling power of the wisdom of this world, to see through our brothers and sisters in that manner. But we have got to arrest those thoughts, bring every thought into captivity to the mind of Christ. And what was the mind of Christ? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and gave him a place and a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom, and it is a wisdom, is not that which comes down from above, but it is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder. It's a house divided against itself and every evil thing. All the sin in the world began with competition when Satan said, I would be like the Most High. Every evil thing gains traction and power under the sin of competition. But the wisdom from above is first pure. Amen. It's not double-minded. It's single-focused. It's not polluted. It's pure. It wants God's will. It wants God's way. It says, not my will, but your will be done. It's pure. It's aware of its desires, but always surrendering those desires to the will of God. Your will be done. It is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. I want to ask you, why does he use peaceable, gentle, and willing to yield as defining hallmarks of the wisdom from above? Why does he use peaceable, gentle, and willing to yield? These are all pacifistic terms. Would you agree? Why does he use these terms to describe the wisdom from above? The wisdom of this world makes you believe the fight is yours to win. The wisdom of God reminds you that the heart of the ruler is in the hands of God. The wisdom of this world believes it's going to be at your achievement that you succeed. The wisdom of God says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. The wisdom of this world says it's going to be by your cunning and insight that you perceive. The wisdom of God says, unless the Lord watches the city, 
the watchman stays awake in vain. So the wisdom of this world believes it's your fight to win. The wisdom of God believes you stand amidst eternal ways and that God has a purpose. And if you will synchronize your will with his purpose, he will fight on your behalf. And you can say, what can man do to me? If God be for us, who can be against us? For who can stand against the Lord? The wisdom of God is constantly reminding yourself that you don't have a horse in the race. You don't have skin in the game. It is the Lord's glory, as my dad has spoken to us, his radiant reputation at stake. And if there's any other reputation at stake, you need to die to it and take on this attitude that was in Christ when he made himself of no reputation. Because if you pollute your reputation and combine it with Christ's reputation, what do you have? You do not have the wisdom that is first pure. Amen? You have the wisdom that is first double-minded and will put itself in a pinch where it can receive nothing from the Lord. Amen. But the wisdom of God believes that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God. And they pull down strongholds. The weapons of our warfare, the weapon of truth, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I remember when I was taking woodworking class, when I was just a, a very small boy, and Brother Stan was helping me cut. And he said, no, 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 that's not how you do it. He said, you don't push on the saw and try to do with your pressure the work of the cut. He said, you've got to let the saw do its work. And you just move it back and forth. But we can be that way with the weapons of the Spirit too, brothers and sisters. We can take the sword of the Spirit and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow. It is a discerner all by itself. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And no creature can be hidden from its precision. Amen? But sometimes we want to take the sword of the Spirit and make the cut. But because our ambitions have come into play, we begin to saw on that sword. Because we want to finish in the flesh what began in the Spirit. And we lose our sense of awe and appreciation for what only the Spirit can do. As Jesus said, I speak only what the Father gives me. So the wisdom of the flesh, it saws. The wisdom of the Spirit is saying, uh-uh, be peaceable. Be at peace. Isn't that what Jesus told the apostles? When you speak to them and they don't receive you, let your peace return unto you. You're not trying to conquer the world. You're trying to be a witness to the truth. And they that are of the truth will hear his voice. And the rest will be separated from him. Because this is the judgment, the crisis, the separation, that light comes into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. But just speak the truth. Amen. And if they receive you, stay there. If they don't, let your peace return unto you. The wisdom of God is peaceable. It's gentle for the same reason, but he's just trying to bring home the same point. It's gentle because it doesn't need the force of human effort, the force of human personality, the force of human persuasion. If God would anoint it, let that be force enough. 
And if God is not anointing it, no force is sufficient. You're just going to tear down the house. Peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. Why is it willing to yield? How many of you had this happen to you where you're very sure of something and you state it and somebody takes you to task on it? And instantaneously, all your aggression and fear and war, it all comes right to the surface. And it's like, that is what it said. What's going on there? We don't like to lose, do we? It's in our nature to win, isn't it? Because we are by nature fallen and selfish, ambitious. Amen? What is it when somebody says, did you hear that, uh, let's see, this many people did such and such, voted in such and such an election recently, and you go, no, it was such and such. It was this many people. And when they say that, you go, no, it was so, this many people. What's going on there? You're not being willing to yield. Why? If your stake is in the truth and you have no other claim and all you want is the truth, then again, you don't have skin in the game. It's not your fight to win. And it's like, this is God. This is what I feel. Somebody comes along and corrects you. It's like, amen. Okay. You can let all that fight or flight instinct just flow right out of you. Amen. You can say, I get that. I see that. You're right. Amen. It's willing to yield. That is translated in some Bibles as reasonable. I think that's a reasonable translation of willing to yield. Amen. It's not scared of losing. The wisdom of the world is scared of scrutiny. They that are of the truth come into the open that it may be clearly seen that what they do is done in God. But those that know their deeds are evil, whose hearts testify against them, they don't want scrutiny. They don't want somebody to say that they're wrong in this matter because they don't want to submit themselves to an order or a person or a God that's bigger than them. So they're tapping into that satanic competition. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy. Why is the wisdom from above full of mercy? Why is it full of mercy? Because the wisdom from above is coming from Jesus. And what was the wisdom of the cross? To upend everything we thought about winning, about greatness, about life. Amen. Who would have thought? It is the irony of ironies that the most pivotal event in human history 
an event that would, that would spawn the greatest movement in human history, including the greatest numbers of people in human history, that it would all begin by a man losing, by a man dying, by a man being abandoned by his followers and sentenced to death by his own people. It turns on its head everything we know. It turns on its head everything we know in the natural mind, in the natural world, in the wisdom that is from below. But it establishes a whole new example of wisdom for us, doesn't it? The wisdom of Christ says that it's through humility that we're exalted, in serving that we become great, in surrendering that we triumph, and finally in dying, in laying down our lives that we find eternal life. Do you see how that seems so foolish to the world? And yet they cannot deny its impact. Amen. They can deny Jesus' methods, and disobey his words, but they cannot deny that there's no man in human history who's had half as much influence as that man from Nazareth. Amen. So the wisdom of God is full, full of mercy. The purpose of God's wisdom through the cross was to save somebody else. Amen. The wisdom of God is never full of condemnation but it is always full of mercy. Amen? God, make us full of mercy. Full of mercy and good fruits. But now listen to this. Unwavering and without hypocrisy. So it doesn't mean it's a pushover. Its ear is highly, is, is finely tuned to the voice of God, but it is willing to stick by what God has spoken. Unwavering. It's not willing to play the hypocrite and say that something is okay and call that mercy when in fact it is not okay. It is willing to stand up and bring confrontation where confrontation is needed. But it does so in a way that is laying down its life. There is no skin in the game. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own free will. How did he lay down his life? Every time he came to the crossroads, of advancing his image in the eyes of his killers or otherwise speaking the wisdom of God that was unwavering, uncompromising, and without hypocrisy, the wisdom that would make them want to kill him. And he chose the wisdom of God and they killed him, but they did not know what they were doing. If the rulers of this world had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Amen? Amen. How? are the wise caught in their own craftiness. Because when we get into the dynamic of competitive wisdom, competitive intelligence and insight, that dynamic is itself the trap. And whatever revelations we may have within that dynamic, they can never extirpate us from that dynamic. So he catches the wise in their own cleverness. We have got to lay down our rights, surrender our ambitions, give up our claims, and humble ourselves before God and come to this place of, the, of, of receiving the wisdom from above 
if we would ever escape the trap of earthly wisdom. If you have a debate with your brother in the body, you cannot know the truth so long as you're in the big trap of earthly wisdom. You'll never know it. Now let's go back briefly to 1 Corinthians 1. He was talking to them about their competitive attitude. I'm going to finish right here with this. He was talking to them about their competitive attitude and he told them that it has all got to come from God. It has got to come from the wisdom of God, the things that are foolish in the world, so that no man may boast before God But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that it says, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Is it possible that somebody could walk into our midst and know Jesus' crucifixion among us? Not learn about it from us. That is different terms. But know it in us. I determined to know nothing among you. Paul wanted to see something coming to pass in the Corinthians. He wanted to see a reality. And he didn't want to see their special gifts. He didn't want to debate their minute disagreements. All he wanted to see was that they were offering themselves as a living sacrifice. That the dynamic of the cross, the wisdom of the cross had taken hold of them. And they were living the reality of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Paul is implying that his weakness was part of this crucifixion that he needed to know among them. Amen? He was bearing his, bearing his cross. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men but on the power of God. Amen. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. And they all do, don't they? All the empires come and go eventually. Just give them enough time. They're passing away. But we're part of something that though the grass withers and the flower fades, amen, we're part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that will endure forever. We do speak a wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age understood, for had they understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written... Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, listen to the grammar, listen to the tense here. For to us, 
God has revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may know the things freely given to us by God. The things are already given. The things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, they're already given and they're already revealed. But we could remain blind to them or we could become blind to them. What does Paul say? He says, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. There are riches of God's glorious inheritance that are in the saints, that are buried inside of your brothers and your sisters, that are found when we come together of one mind and one accord. But it is possible for that wisdom to become impure and for us to no longer be able to receive anything from the Lord when we become a double-minded man. It is possible to stand in the presence of God's people and be surrounded by things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and have never occurred to the mind of man, and you might not see them still because you have encapsulated yourself in the competitive, self-protective wisdom that is from below. So it takes an active, determined, humble, eager humility if we would break out of this shell and find what really surrounds us. I think there would be nothing more disheartening and troubling than to come to the end of our life, to come into eternity, and to feel like everybody had life better than us. And to get there and to hear God say, oh no, you had the best life. You were in the treasure house of my temple. You were in the place of more love, more faith, more power and possibility than anywhere in the world. But you blinded yourself. The God of this world can blind the minds of those who believe not so that they no longer receive a love for the truth. Amen. Amen. Wouldn't that be a travesty? Amen. Say, God, if, if only you had been more good to me, if you'd only you had been shown me more blessings, show me more favor, and for God to say, oh, but you dwelt in the king's house. What a travesty that you were blind all those times when you could have recognized me and your brother and given him a drink. Recognized me and your sister and given her something to eat. Recognized me and heard words that could have given you life. What a travesty that you were never able to transcend the viewpoint of the flesh and you knew everyone after the flesh. Like Paul said, there was a time when we knew even Christ after the flesh. But henceforth, we know no man after the flesh. But there are things that God has given. There are treasures in your life right now. 
right now that can still remain hidden from your sight just because you're so smart in the wisdom of this world. Just because you're so brilliantly intelligent in the wisdom from below. Amen. It takes a childlikeness unless you are converted. Amen. Unless you downgrade your own image, are converted, Jesus said, and become like a little child. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's all around you. But you are are in a little capsule. Amen. So that you can say, "I I have no blessings. I have no life. I have no love. I have no hope. I am Cain, and I feel desperately sorry for myself because I am terribly mistreated. Amen. Let's not be those people.